We're, we're going through our series in, in Matthew's Gospel, and in that series, we have been working our way through uh, chapters 1 and 2. Devin finished up chapter 2, and I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but the first four chapters through verse 16 of chapter 4 are really an introduction to the life of Christ. And then from 417 all the way through, I think it's 1620, we see the ministry of, of Jesus. We hear his teachings and we listen to his parables. And then from, from 1621 all the way through 2820, the end of Matthew is the, just the leading up to the crucifixion, the, just the, what is Christ is going through. And, and this morning we're, we're working our way in chapter 3 now and continuing his introduction. If you would, look at verse 1 of chapter 3 and just read along with me. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able to, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Now, who is this man? John the Baptist. Luke, in his gospel, gives us some detail. John the Baptist's dad is Zechariah, a, a priest in the temple. His mom is Elizabeth, his, uh, Mary's cousin. He, he, he's born six months before Jesus is born. He will live his life like a Nazarite, which means no wine or strong drink. He will be filled from the, with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will go forth in the in the power of and the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for the Lord. Now, in Matthew, John just simply bursts onto the scene with no background in a swirl of activity and, and, and controversy. Verse 1, in those days. Now, in those days is looking back to what's happening in those days. Tiberius is reigning as Caesar, and Rome is ruling the world with an iron fist. The, the Jewish nation lives under 
an oppressive military regime. And yet, with stunning boldness, John here loudly declares this, another kingdom has come. And with it, another king. And his rule stands above all other rulers. Imagine, imagine standing there hearing this. And no doubt there were Roman soldiers standing around. And here John is proclaiming a new kingdom has come. Who is this man who is stirring up such trouble? Well, Matthew lets us know he's a prophet and he's a herald sent by God for one purpose, to prepare the way of the Lord. It's been 400 years, 400 years since the people have heard the voice of God through a prophet. But now, now he has come. Now he speaks through John. God is speaking through a prophet he has sent who stands in the wilderness of Judea declaring with a thunderous voice the message that God is bringing fulfillment to his covenant promise. He is fulfilling this promise that the Jews have awaited on for, for millennia, for a thousand years or more. They've been, they've been waiting for the Messiah to come, and they've been waiting for this king to come. And that, that's what Matthew establishes in chapter 1 and chapter 2, that Jesus is that king. And now John, John tells them, God, God is beginning the final chapter in fulfilling his covenant promise. And this wilderness that John is in, it, it, re it represents so much more than just a, a geographic location. It's often, if you look throughout Scripture, you see the wilderness is a place where, where God meets his people. And if you remember our, our series in Exodus where we saw it was in the wilderness after their escape from Egypt that Israel began its existence as the people of God. And it's where they saw the power of God. It's where they saw God demonstrate who he was. It was where they heard the voice of God, the thunderous voice of God. It's where God's law was given to them. It's where all the people met God in a new way. And now in a new way they will meet God once again in the incarnate Son of God. In Hosea 2, 14 and 15, God calls his people through a prophetic word to the wilderness for a very specific purpose. He calls the nation of Israel to the wilderness in Hosea to express his tender mercy to them, to express his love for them, to tell them he will deliver them. And know oh, how that wilderness stands in the background of this wilderness where John is preparing the way of the Lord, the one who will come and deliver the people now. But deliver them, as we read in, in Matthew 1.21, he will save them from their sins. He will deliver them from the bondage of their sins. And in verse 2, now through John the Baptist, he calls the people, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He calls the people to come to him that they might again receive mercy and deliverance, just like those in Hosea. It is a message of hope that a deliverer has come. It's a message that, that John is pointing to the one who is about to come. In John 1.8, John writes, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. 
He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And that's who John is. He's, he's bearing witness about the light. Two, two points that we can gain, two insights we can gain from this passage. This passage, which is, which is not, it's not didactic, it's not teaching, it's narrative, it's, it's a story. We're, we're learning about, the, the, in this gospel, the life of Christ and what led up to it and now what is going to be coming. It's, 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 it's unique to us. And it's a story that is meant to grab our attention. A story where this man wearing clothing of camel hair and a leather belt and a man who eats locust is, is speaking. How strange it is. And he's telling people to repent. Now, the, John is not, John is not um, the only one who's ever come on the scene like this. Israel has seen many weird people coming through their ranks. Uh, just, just go into any downtown city, and you will see numerous people on street corners just proclaiming something. John would have been in that, in, in that group. John would have been looked at that way by many. And yet he is a man who was sent from God. And so because he was sent from God, not only are these words relevant to the people who were gathering around him in the wilderness, but they are relevant to us today. They are, they are relevant to us when, when we hear this repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It means the kingdom of heaven is here. It means that we live a life of repentance as those who are followers of Christ. It's not just a word for a group of people standing by the Jordan River 2,000 years ago. It is meant for us. And so John, John provides some insight for us of what this means. John, and it tells us, and this is a, remember, this is a story Matthew writes to primarily a group of Jewish people, Jewish believers, Jewish unbelievers. He's writing to a group of people to to show them how God's word in the Old Testament has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And John is a part of that fulfillment. And so John the Baptist's coming is the beginning of God's promise being fulfilled. This is where the, it's the catalyst, it's the kickoff. God, God has been silent for 400 years. All of a sudden, now he's speaking, and he's speaking through this man. And secondly, John the Baptist's message is a warning of God's judgment that's to be feared. Let's look at the first. John's coming is the beginning of God's promise fulfilled. In verse 3 of chapter 3, the voice, for this is he who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. So here, Matthew is again quoting Old Testament scripture to show how God's promise is being fulfilled. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Matthew, he continues to affirm his message that God's promise is being fulfilled once again as he quotes another Old Testament passage. The context now of Isaiah 43 was a prophecy of hope. At that time, Israel was in captivity in Babylon. They'd been exiled there by God because they were under God's judgment for their continued sin. And so here, for 70 years, they have suffered under captivity. 
They've been in Babylon. They've not been in their homeland. But Isaiah comes, and this prophecy in Isaiah 40, it's simply this. He's saying, you're on the brink of God's deliverance. God is coming. God is going to deliver you. Your 70-year exile in a foreign land is about to come to an end. And John, John's doing the same. He's representing, in a sense, an Isaiah as he proclaims to these people, God is coming. Your deliverance is coming. Prepare the way of the Lord. Now, in the ancient Near Eastern culture, when a king came to survey his land, he would, he would ride throughout the country to survey his people and to survey his land. He would send a herald before him who would say, the king is coming. And when, when the king would come, the people in preparation of the king would gather and they would, they would fix all the roads that were, were dirt roads that were rutted, filled with rocks. They would smooth them over. They would get rid of the rocks. They would get rid of the ruts so that the king's ride would be smooth. They would prepare the way for the king. And that is what Isaiah is saying here. Prepare the way of the, for the Lord. Prepare. And that's what John is doing. He's preparing the way. He's smoothing the road over. He's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that is what is happening here. And then in, in 4 and 5, now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And then all Jerusalem was coming out, and Judea and the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were being baptized him in the name in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. He also, Matthew also sees John as, as one coming in the spirit and power of the prophet Elijah, fulfilling the scriptures that prophesy of a prophet, the prophet Elijah, who will be a forerunner of the coming Christ. In Malachi 4, verse 5, Malachi prophesies this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great an awesome day of the Lord comes. So John the Baptist is that prophet who has come in the spirit and power of Elijah. He, he is the one who proclaims the way back to God. Now, he knows he's not the way. John, John knows he's not the way, but there is someone coming. There is someone coming who is the way, and they will be here soon. He is coming who is the true king, whose kingdom is true and eternal, and that kingdom has now come. And John is the one smoothing the road over, and he's the one, as Elijah, proclaiming the coming of the Lord. And like Elijah in 1 Kings 17, John suddenly appears on the scene. If you're reading in 1 Kings 16, there's no Elijah, or in 15, or in 14. But all of a sudden, 1 Kings 17, chapter, verse 1, all of a sudden, this guy Elijah, Elijah the prophet, appears on the scene. And John, in the same way, suddenly appears on the scene. And then in Elijah, again in 2 Kings, he has, he, he's, he's described in the same way that John is described, with similar clothing, and they eat similar food. They eat locusts and wild honey. Now, locusts are not some delectable dessert. They're they're locusts. They're grasshoppers. They're, they're like crickets. When I was in Burma, one of the great delicacies in Burma is a barrel, and they're, and they're marinated crickets. 
And I, I, I took a team of, of medical professionals there on a number of occasions. And for whatever grace God gave me, I was able to convince every one of them to eat one of those crickets without ever having to eat one myself. <laughs> this is what John eats, locusts. And locusts, as you'll study in Leviticus, locusts were the only insects allowed to be eaten under Mosaic law. And, and you could prepare them any way you wanted. You, you could marinate them in vinegar. That was, that was one of the ways to do it. You, you could make them into a pancake, a locust pancake. I, I'm just thinking, how many here are going to go home and try to make a locust pancake? You could powder them into a smoothie. There, there was a lot of things you could do, or you could boil them or roast them. And John, John was a man who, who ate locusts and wild honey like Elijah the prophet. Now, if you remember who Elijah is, Elijah is the prophet who, con who confronted the prophets of Baal on, Mar on Mount Carmel. And, and he, he's, he, he literally, his, his message to them is, how long will you go limping between two different opinions. In other words, who are you going to serve? You're going to serve the God of heaven or you're going to serve this false God who can't even start a fire? Who are you going to serve? Will you live between two different opinions? And he goes on to say, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And this is precisely John's ministry. Who will you follow? Who will you follow? Will you follow the gods and the culture of this world? Or will you follow the God of heaven whose kingdom has come? Who, who will you follow? And you know, we, we get that question asked of us every day, every time we open up God's word. Who are we going to follow? Are we going to follow the false gods of this world? Are we going to look to the false promises that this world gives us? Are we going to try to fulfill our lives through what this world has to offer? Or are we going to follow the one who, who came named Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, whose kingdom is real, whose kingdom is true, whose kingdom is pure, whose kingdom is holy, whose kingdom is eternal, and whose kingdom his children will live in. Who are you going to follow? That's John's question to these people, and it's John's question to us. It's Elijah's questions to the prophets of Baal. It's Elijah's question to us. Who are we going to follow? This is precisely John the Baptist's ministry. Who will you follow? And, and the Jews would have made the connection between John and Elijah rather easily. And later in Matthew 11, Jesus actually himself tells his followers that John is the fulfillment of Elijah coming, that John came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And then in verse 6, we see the response to John's message. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. So we see, we see all, all this in just a few short verses. We see God bringing to fulfillment the start of really all that he had promised. 
that covenant promise in the coming of Christ. John is the man preparing the way. John is the man fulfilling Old Testament prophecies. John is the man that is letting people know God is at work right now, and he is doing something new. But secondly, John gives us another, another thought to consider. John's message is a warning of God's judgment that is to be feared. Verse 7, we, we see John, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Now, whether out of curiosity or fear or just to ridicule John, surprisingly, to me, these Sadducees and Pharisees come to see what John is up to. They make their way out of Jerusalem to to where John is baptizing in the, Jordan, in the Jordan River, which is about a 20 mile hike. So, so there's, there's a draw here. Something's, something's compelling them to come, but they didn't come to be baptized. Most likely they came to spy on John and figure out what he was trying to accomplish. This is, this is the very same group that we read about in Matthew 16 that confronts Jesus and tries to test him and trip, trip him up. John knows their hearts. He knows their hearts, and in a language that is shocking, he calls them out. You understand, these are, these are the leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These are, these are the, the ones who, who are the spiritual leaders of the day. And John calls them a brood of vipers. He looks at them, and he tells them, you are a brood of vipers. Now, these are men who know the Scripture. And in their mind, to call them a viper immediately sends them back to Genesis, to the garden, to the snake. You snake in the garden is what John is telling them. You who crawl on your belly, that is what John is telling them. John is not a man who's interested in winning friends and influencing people. And that is, is what happened. John knows their hearts. This language would have stunned them. But John, John is not through with them yet. His, his, his baptism, his, his call to repentance, shows these men three realities. And, and this is where, where John really takes off. He, he goes, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire." Listen, John, John tells them three things that, that is, are necessary for their baptism if it's going to be genuine, if it's going to be true. Listen, he says, listen, being a descendant of Abraham is not a passport to heaven. Just like growing up in the church is not a passport to heaven. I was, I was, I was born a Christian because I, I was born into this church. Great. So if you're born in a McDonald's, you're a hamburger. I mean, let's, 
Now, John, being a descendant of Abraham is not a passport to heaven. He emphatically declares that their Jewish heritage will not bring them salvation. And growing up in a Christian family does not mean that you're a Christian. You are a Christian when you come to Christ and confess your sins and trust in him for your salvation, for his, what he's done on the cross. That is, what, that is what brings us to saving faith in Christ. So being a descendant of Abraham, and, and that's, all the, that's what these men depended on. Oh, listen, I'm going to heaven because I'm a Jew and I from the line of Abraham, and I'm a descendant. And so that's my ticket in. That's my automatic ticket into heaven. No. And then he tells him, listen, you need to be cleansed. You need to be water baptized like a Gentile convert. Listen, here's, in, in Jewish culture, if a, somebody was, it was called a proselyte, somebody who was, who is saying, I want to be a Jew, a Gentile saying, I want to be a Jew. And so what that Gentile would do, would he'd have to go down to these pools outside the temple and he'd have to go through a purification. They would have to wash him with water to get rid of the filth of being a Gentile. He was, he was filthy just by the fact that he wasn't born a Jew. And so to be cleansed like this was a sign that you were, you were filthy and it was your entrance into the temple. Well, in the same way, John is saying to these men, you need to be cleansed like a Gentile. How stunning and offensive that would be to these Jewish men. And then he tells them this, if you don't, you are under God's judgment. You are under God's wrath. Who told you to flee from the wrath to come? John saw the hypocrisy in these men. What was their real motive for coming? To check him out? To dismiss him? To cover their bases just in case? There was no fruit of repentance in their lives. They simply believed that if they, they were descendants of Abraham, they were true childs of God. And, and John says, not so. Not so. In fact, in fact, John tells them, God doesn't care about your ancestry. He doesn't care at all. In fact, you see that stone over there? He can make a child of God out of that stone. In fact, that stone's probably better than you. John tells him, it's what's in the heart that matters. It's, it's what's in here. But John's not done with the metaphors. He, 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 he's not done with these judgment metaphors. In verse 10, he says, even now the ax is laid to the root of the tree. So not only are you a brood of vipers, now let me tell you what's happening to you. The ax is laid at the root of the trees, your tree. Eve, every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit. What did he say earlier? Bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So, so here you are, what you've been trusting in will condemn you. You've been trusting in your, your heritage, that will condemn you. In fact, the axe, the axe of God's judgment is already laid at the root of your tree, your belief, what you believe in. And that does not, and you don't bear good fruit, and so you are being cut down. And not only what, what you're being cut down, you are being thrown into the fire. Because that good fruit means repentance. And John is real clear. Man, I'm not seeing any repentance here. It's, it's their self-righteous works and their, their boasting in their heritage that makes them believe they're godly. 
brothers and sisters, we can do the same. We can take, we can take comfort in our good works that make us godly. We can, we can boast in our Christian heritage, but, but no, we, we must be careful. And so John lets them know all, all that self-effort, it means nothing. It's like a dead tree, and that dead tree is being cut down and thrown into the fire. And then in verse 11, he, he goes on to, to talk to everyone. He says, I baptize you. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John wisely sets his baptism in its proper context. Listen, this baptism is not a baptism to salvation. It's a baptism of preparation. Preparing the way for the Lord, preparing your hearts, preparing your souls to receive the coming of the Christ, the one who is mightier than I, the one who is so holy, so good, the one who is so mighty, so powerful. He, he, I can't even, I can't even carry his sandals. And, and that would be, even a slave at that time was allowed to carry his master's sandals. This, this man, John, felt like I can't even carry the master's sandals. And so he sets in context who, who this coming Christ is. And then finally in verse 12, John, John has a final judgment metaphor. Another one. After speaking of snakes escaping the fire and trees cut down and burned, John wants them to know, he warns them that they're going to be separated as either wheat or chaff that this final judgment, this will be the final judgment of the coming, coming king, the final judgment of the final day. You're going to be separated. You're either going to be wheat or you're going to be chaff. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. A final judgment metaphor. Those who are his, the wheat, will be gathered into his barn. But those who are chaff will suffer unquenchable fire, eternal fire. This is the essence of John's message. Bad trees will have their roots severed by an axe and thrown into the fire. The wheat and the chaff will be separated. The chaff will burn in unquenchable fire. Men and women, he says, will be divided into two groups. Those for Christ and those against Christ. Listen, this passage, this passage is, is a warning. But it's also a passage of comfort. The warning asks, where does your hope lie? Who are, who are you following? What are you doing? James 2.17 tells us that faith without works is dead. We don't just profess the Christian life. We do. We live the Christian life because we're united to Christ. We identify as His. But it is a, it is a passage of warning and it is a passage of comfort. The relevance of John's message is, is for all of us. And what I find most 
encouraging in this passage is the comfort that John gives us. Even in the midst of all these judgment metaphors, this brood of vipers, this axe being laid at the root and, and thrown, the wood thrown into the fire and, and the wheat and the chaff and the chaff being separated and burned up in unquenchable fire, John's message is a message of comfort because the word of God is a comfort to us. The word of God tells us about what God has done for us, not just what God could do to us if we reject him. It's not just about sin, judgment, wrath, fire, and hell. No, no, it is, it is so much more that is coming out of this passage. When I was a, when I was a kid, my mom bought me a magazine uh, a subscription to a magazine called Highlights. Has anybody ever seen Highlights magazine? You might have had it as a kid. Yeah, yeah, you remember it. And there, there's two things I really remember from that magazine. The first was Goofus and Gallant. Do you know who Goofus and Gallant are? Goofus is the guy, they have a picture of him, and Goofus is the guy who's always rude, who's always angry, who's always selfish. Uh, he's the guy you don't want to be. And, and Highlights Magazine has Goofus out there. And then there's Gallant. Gallant's the great, he's humble, and he always serves people, and he's just the sweet fellow, you know, that, that you, wanna, you want your son to be like. And, and, and I always liked reading Goofus and Gallant because I would always draw a mustache on Gallant and make him look bad and stuff like that. But the other thing I loved about Highlights Magazine, they would have on one page, they'd have a picture. And in the picture would be all these hidden objects that you had to find. And as you, you looked and looked, eventually those, those objects would emerge. And you'd see it, and, you'd, and then once you caught them, you, you never, again, lost them in the picture. You always, you always saw them. You could identify them. And that's what John is doing here. The, the, hidden, the hidden gospel is emerging. The hidden gospel is emerging. Matthew is telling us in John, this gospel is emerging. Like, a, like those, those hidden objects in the picture, it's coming through. And it's, it's a message that, that is no longer hidden. This gospel is no longer hidden, but wonderfully revealed in the mercy of God coming in the incarnate Christ. Wonderful to, who has come to bear our sins. That's, that's what John is preparing to, to, to let us know of the one who's coming to bear our sins, bear the sins of the world on the cross, taking on himself God's furious wrath, this wrath that John himself speaks about. John's coming is not just a message about sin and judgment, but one of salvation and hope. Yes, the chaff will be burned up, but the wheat, the wheat, he tells us, will be gathered into his barn, into Christ's barn, into the coming king's barn, into his heaven into his eternal eternal dwelling where all who have trusted in him this king will live securely for all eternity brothers and sisters john's coming is a message of hope yeah it's a warning but it's a it's a message of great comfort and so as we as we continue on in this keep keep looking back as you see one prophecy fulfilled after another, one Old Testament passage, you will see this emerging, this coming of Christ. And in just a few short, just next time we gather together, you will be, you'll be intrigued as you see Jesus coming and, and what God has set him up in preparation of the ministry that he is called to.